0: Thank you, Hal. We actually just heard the the news about Debbie's father this morning, so we are praying for him and the opportunity that Debbie or Mike or both will continue to be able to clarify the gospel to him. So we are in prayer of this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Let's take a few seconds this morning for our spiritual preparation. It's an opportunity for us for confession of sin, but also it helps us to focus and to truly understand what is happening during our service. So let's closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Generally, Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are our God and that you have a plan for us and you understand the details. We are very often anxious. We are worried. But Father... We should simply rely on you and understand that you are taking care of us. We do pray this morning for Debbie's father. We're thankful that he seems to be stable right now in the hospital. We pray, Father, that what is happening in his life, he will certainly be brought to a place where he will make a decision. Whether he has uh, believed up to this point or not, we pray that he will understand the truth that he needs to understand with his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with you. We ask for your blessing this morning upon our service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our opportunity. To worship the Lord in giving. The Apostle Paul tells us that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will also reap generously. He says for each one of us that you should give, just as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, Because God loves a willing giver. Dearly, Father, we are thankful that you've blessed us and that we have the opportunity to give. But it's not really the amount we give. It's our generosity. It's our willingness to give. And we ask, Father, that you bless us on our our givings this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, for our call of worship, I had another passage, but let's turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, verse 1. As we pray this morning for those in our congregation who may not be well or have a problem with their difficulty, And in Psalm 102, as we pray for Debbie's father and others who may need our prayers, we read in Psalm 102, verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord. And so we have prayers. And this was a request that our prayers would be heard. Of course, we know that our prayers are heard. But as humans, we desire that our prayers not only be answered, but they be the answer that we desire. But We must understand that God has the answer. And so here in verse 1, We say, hear my prayer, O Lord. And I believe that we can easily say that, yes, God answers our prayers. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a prayer that we request, but God is answering. He hears and is answering our prayers. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. In the day that I call, answer me speedily. So this is an author who is, we're not told, who's telling us that he has an urgent prayer. And he's speaking to the Father. And of course, the Father loves us. We understand that. That our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ who takes our prayers to the Father and of course we have God the Holy Spirit who is our advocate who is praying for us as well and so we cannot have any more help than we have through God the Holy Spirit through our high priest the Lord Jesus Christ and our God who loves us and has a perfect plan for us. So Psalm 102. What I'd like to also this morning, just mention a few things about Memorial Day. This is a Memorial Day slide that has three pictures and on the right side it says Memorial Day is a time to honor, to reflect and to remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice for their country. Memorial Day, remember and honor. Many of us will go to a cemetery and we will remember those who uh, who gave their lives while they were in the military and defending our lives and we'll see that here in the other picture that shows the flags in front of the stones and this is what happens over in Arlington National Cemetery and it's a a wonderful place to go uh, and to to walk and of course while we are there we're not only remembering those who gave their lives during the military but we'll probably walk and see others. But in fact, it is about for the ones who gave all and we remember them. Uh, You may remember, and I'm wearing this poppy, but, and I believe that we've had ladies in the past making poppies for us. And I kept this one and have it right here. Uh, But that's one of the Symbols of Memorial Day, And it's sometimes called the lore of the Legion. This is a poem that Lieutenant Colonel John McCrae, who was a Canadian physician and he was serving during World War One. He was on the front lines on May the 3rd 1915 when he was inspired to write this poem that comes to symbolize all bloodshed in World War 1 and of course he was inspired by this because one of his close friends died during World War 1 reportedly he isn't happy he wasn't happy with his uh, his poem, and he threw it away. Some soldiers some soldiers rescued it, and it has been published um, from that day to today. Now, as we read this poem, it's not the kind of poem that we often hear, but it is telling us of his thoughts, what was occurring. In Flanders Fields... The poppies blow, between the crosses, road on row. That mark our place, and in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly. Scarce heard, amid the guns below, we are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. And so this is an opportunity for us to remember our Memorial Day. It started as a a different name at various countries, but it became Memorial Day for us. And it's what we should remember. All right. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 19 through 23. I'm trying to move our way through 1 Corinthians 9. And 1 Corinthians nine, nineteen, is where we will find ourselves this morning. Let's read. This is Paul of his attitude towards his devotion to the gospel. And in this uh, paragraph, 19 through 23... Paul describes himself as being free, but yet he is a servant to others in order to proclaim the good news to anyone. So this is Paul's, the way that he approaches this. And we see that he is writing to Corinth. He's writing to the believers there, but he is also concerned about those in Corinth who have not responded to the gospel. And so in this paragraph, we will see that he is writing about several groups. So let's read 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19 through 23. For though I am free from all men, and the word here for men is really not there, but it could be, All and there's a sense here also that there is what those who may or may not believe. So it says, though I am free from all. In other words, whatever uh, he believes or all whatever belief. So I am free from all. I have made myself a servant. So though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more and verse 20. And to the Jews, I become as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law. And I think there we could say I lived under the law. So let me go back once more to begin 20 and to the Jews, I, I become a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law. I live as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, he would say that he is giving the gospel to the Jews, and in order to give them the gospel, he must live under portions of, or live under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, I live as without the law. So, he is in, 20, in 20, he is addressing the Jews. In verse 21, he is addressing to the Gentiles who are not living under the law. So he says to those who are without the law, the Mosaic law, I live without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ. So he is under a law, he's saying, but his life, his law is Christ's, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22. To the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I've mentioned this previously. Well as a matter of fact, let me read twenty three. But this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker, that I may share in the blessing of it with you. Now Paul here is addressing to the believers in Corinth. But also, we realize that there are still those who, in Corinth, who periodically are part of Paul's ministry. So he can approach them with the gospel. And that's what we have here. So Paul is saying, I'm free From all, from men, he's also free from the law. But in order for him to have an opportunity to give the gospel both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, he will uh, live his life in a way that will be acceptable by the Jews and the Gentiles. All right. Here we are in 1 Corinthians 9:19, 9, And this is what we find in the New King James Version. It says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. So he's literally saying here that I'm free from the lives that others live. He can live his own life. But he says, I've made myself a servant to all. So he changes his life so that he will have an opportunity that I might gain them or win. Some other translations, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone So this is his approach by saying, I want to give the gospel. And therefore, I am not going to be living a life that he chooses. He decides that he wants to live or approach others so that they will listen to him to win as many as possible. Another translation, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. And so his life is not lived the way he wants to live, but he wants to live so he can approach others. Okay, a few points. Paul had previously said that he was free. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians nine, one, He says... Am I not an apostle? And the answer there is yes, I am. Am I not free? Yes. In other words, he is not a slave. He is not restricted for his volition, but he will say that while I am free, I will live according a servant to others. So he says here, Paul had previously said that he was free. He had rights or privileges as other philosophers who traveled to Corinth. So he had those same rights. Therefore, Paul said that he was not hindered by his rights by others. So he's not hindered. Third, however, you will remember that he he did not use his rights. He didn't use his privileges because it says in verse 12, but endured all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And that was Christ, that was Paul's attitude. He didn't want to hinder the gospel to others. Fourth, Paul once more says that he is free to exercise his rights. Five, on the other hand, he surrendered his freedom and became a servant ...to those he ministered. Six, Paul became a servant... ...so that he might give the gospel... ...to those who had not heard it... ...or needed to hear it again. And seven, Paul voluntarily... ...became a servant for the benefit... ...of others whom he wanted to reach. So, there's a problem here... ...often for us. We decide that we have rights... By golly, that's how we're going to live it. But that's not Paul's attitude. His attitude was he wants to read those that he can give them the gospel. And that needs to be our attitude as well. We don't look down to them. But our desire is to give them the gospel. In verse 20, Paul expresses his attitude toward the religious Jews. So he says in verse 20, and of the Jews, I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law. And as I said there, I living uh, as under the law so uh, that I might live Jews to those who are under the law. I live as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. So another translation here to the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. So there's a way here that we might say, well, wait a minute. Why would he approach anyone even considering the law? Well, Paul would use the law because he understands that there are right ways to live according to the law, not because he believed it was a requirement that he had to live, but he wanted to have the opportunity to approach these Jews. As a matter of fact, we'll remember that he would go to the synagogues and He would speak to them. He was a rabbi and he would speak with them and discuss with them about the law and they would listen. But he would always bring it around to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation here, working translation. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. So he's not saying here that He was not a believer at the time. No, but he would live with them, even though he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, when I was with the Jews, and these are unbelievers, I lived like a Jew to become the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. So this was his decision that he would approach the Jews in the way that they lived. So point one, in verse 23, Paul addresses his approach to the Jews first. So he starts with the Jews. Notice that Paul does not say that he is a Jew. He doesn't say, well, because I'm a Jew, this is it. Yes, he Heritage was Jewish, but once he became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, he was still Jewish, but now he is part of Christ, and we are the same as him. So he says, Paul addresses his approach to the Jews first. Notice that Paul does not say that he's a Jew although his heritage is Jewish. He is speaking about their tradition. Secondly, Paul speaks about his concern for the Jews for at least two reasons. First, his heritage was Jewish. So his heritage there was Jews. And he, con- he had a concern for them. He had a deep love for his Jewish people. Second, Paul had a similar mindset of the Jews. And as a rabbi, he was welcome to teach in any synagogue. So that's who he was. That's who Paul was. And he was always accepted. Third, though Paul was primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, his ministry to the Jews helped him to develop his ministry to the Gentiles. So he would start in these various cities, would go to the synagogues, but that helped him with his ministry to the Gentiles. Fourth, Paul was still a Hebrew, but he was no longer a Jew living according to the Mosaic law. Paul was willing to subject himself to the standards of the Jews in order to gain a hearing for the gospel and to hear them to Christ. And so it was his opportunity to give the gospel to the Jews. Paul, he did not keep himself from the essence of the gospel at the heart of which was salvation by faith, not work, and freedom for legalism. In other words, he did not compromise the the gospel as he approached the Jews. In other words, while the Jews lived under the law, he also lived under the law so that he might reach them with the gospel. So he would follow the law, but the reason was so he can approach the Jews. In verse 21, Paul would also reach the Gentiles, but they did not follow the Mosaic law. So in 21... To those who are without the law, as though without law, in other words, to those who are without the law, I also was without the law, not being without law towards the law, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without Christ. So the working translation, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So uh, the Gentiles, of course, didn't follow the Mosaic law. And with them, he would follow with them. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So he would say, if someone came to him and said, are you living under the law? He would say, yes, I'm living under the law, the law of Christ. And we'll see, and we've seen previously, that the law of of Christ was the law of love. So as to win those not having the law. So his desire was to win them. So even though they didn't follow the law, another way of seeing this working translation, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. And so... They don't live according to the Mosaic law. And with them, he didn't make the law an issue for him. As a matter of fact, he would hinder any of that because he wanted to talk to them about a life without the law. So it says, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So with 21 here, in contrast to the Jews, those who are without the law were the Gentiles. Secondly, among the Gentiles, Paul was willing to set aside past requirements, such as eating meat without sacrificially to the pagan god or gods in order to reach Gentiles to Christ. You may remember we studied that here in chapter 9 because there were some Jews and even uh, Gentiles who were believers and they had a problem with food that that had been offered to the pagan worships. But Paul said... It's not a problem, but if if it was a problem for someone, then you shouldn't eat it. Third, although Paul was a godly advocate of liberty, he did not suggest that he was an advocate of careless or worldly living, so that was not his desire. Fourth, Paul was still under authority, but not under the Old Testament law. The Mosaic Law. Five, while Paul was not under the Mosaic Law, he did not follow lawlessness, but followed a higher requirement, which he taught about God and Christ. In other words, following the law of Christ, fulfilling the law of love. In 22, we read that Paul mentions another group that he desires to address. To the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. Now, this is a difficult verse. The reason, because we really don't know the situation in Corinth. We don't know the question that came along with this. But we know that there is someone, a group here, that is weak. So we have either two groups, one being the Jews, another being the Greeks, or we have a possible, a third group, and that is believers who are weak. So we know that the Jews and the Gentiles were unbelievers as he was approaching in this context. But here in 1 Corinthians 9:22, to the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all, that I might by all means save some. Let's look at these other translations. To the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Or our third working translation, when I am with those who are weak, I shave, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. All right. In verse 22, in his references to the Jews and the Gentiles in the preceding verses, Paul explains his voluntary restraint of freedom in order to reach unbelievers with the gospel. The context in verse 22 brings the two groups together the Jews and the Gentiles. So here we have the context speaking about the unbelievers. Now, there are some who believe that these are believers and they are considered weak. There's another way to approach this is in bringing those groups together or others and saying that they are weak. They are weak because they are rejecting The gospel, Paul again describes himself as being a status that allows him to approach both Jews and Gentile. And therefore, I think that's true. I think he is addressing to unbelievers here, not believers, but unbelievers, because that seems to follow the context. It's a little difficult to understand exactly how this should be understood but I believe it is still a reference to the unbelievers. So Paul again describes himself as being a status that allows him to approach both Jews and Gentiles. Three, it is more likely, however, that Paul was referring explicitly to the weak Corinthians that have not yet responded to the gospel. Therefore, Paul was expressing his desire to reach anyone. He's trying to reach uh, the Jews that were there in Corinth. He was trying to reach the unbelievers who were in Corinth. And he says to them, they are weak when it comes to the relationship they have with God. Verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake. And I think, again, that verse 23 is within the context of the previous verses. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake. He's not speaking about teaching the word of God at this point, although he could. But he's saying it's for the the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. Now, partaker here is is a word we've seen, and it means someone who shares something. And we'll see how we can, I think, use this a little better. The working translation here, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So as they became believers, they were blessed, blessed by the gospel that came to them. Another way to understand this, I do everything to spread the good news and to share in his blessings. So, in verse 23, Paul emphasizes that he would do whatever to reach these unbelievers, whether they be Jews or whether they be Gentiles. Secondly, those responding to the gospel were blessed by believing, so there's a blessing here that comes along with those who believe there is a significant blessing particularly the relationship that they have with the lord jesus christ and of course the relationship with the father thirdly paul says that he would share in the the blessing of those who believed and i think that's how he finishes this paragraph he's Speaking about the unbelievers here and he's talking to them about how to approach them. And he says, I would believe them how in however way I need in order to get the gospel to them, for them to understand this. And we know that this is true as he went to every city, he would go there and First of all, he would go to the Jews and he would go to the synagogues and he would, as a rabbi, he would teach them. But his teaching was bringing them toward the Lord Jesus Christ so that they would believe. And of course there were many who would believe, but there were also many who would reject that. And of course, he would go to the Gentiles and he would not jam around their th- uh, mouths the law. As a matter of fact, he didn't demand them to follow the law because what was more important to him was the gospel, giving them the gospel. And so for us, we have an understanding as well that we're not trying to demand certain a living. No, we want to give them the gospel. We want to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And our question of them is, what do you think of Jesus? Why? Because he is truly their redeemer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the Apostle Paul and how he teaches us to give the gospel. And we're thankful that the gospel would work with either the Jews or with either the Gentiles. And that's how Paul approached them. And Father, for our friends or uh, neighbors or even those who are strangers, we should not try to uh, enforce anything to them. What we hope is that we can give them the gospel. And the gospel, God the Holy Spirit, would help with them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.